Well, one of our favorite heroes of Jerusalem and Israel is here visiting us in our mobile studio in Yerushalayim, and that is Daniel Luria. Daniel Luria is the executive director and spokesperson for Ateret Kohanim. He's been a guest of ours many times, and every time he joins us, there is something new to talk about in the holy city of Jerusalem. Shalom, shalom. Thank you for welcoming us here to Yerushalayim. Shalom, shalom. Uh, we have our own JM. This is Jerusalem. That's, uh, <laughs> That's the original Jerus- JM. Jerusalem JM. <laughs> so uh, we welcome you to with the heart of uh, Yerushalayim, the united uh, Yerushalayim capital May I add? Of, uh, Recognized by anybody who counts uh, as capital so of Israel. Seems. So it seems. By the way, um, a big fan of Jerusalem was here last week. What did you think of Vice President Pence's visit to Yerushalayim? Unbelievable. I mean, I've heard him before speak, so the concept of uh, Jerusalem for him and uh, the Jewish people returning home is a no-brainer. Right. Uh, the fact that uh, God's people have returned to the promised land and that our connection for three, four thousand years with Jerusalem is is part of who he is. But hearing him say it in the Knesset, that was something. That was something. Even with a little bit of help from what I understand from Rabbi Sachs. So we've read, yeah. Who speaks nicely also. And yeah. uh, between the two of them, between his ideology and his words in the Knesset, the atmosphere... Saying the emet is always nice to hear. We were very proud that our very own Mayor Weingarten and other people actually took the statements that Vice President Pence uh, spoke at the Knesset and uh, attached the sources, the sources from Breshit and from Yeshayahu and Yermiyahu and Micha and all these different places to show us, look at this, everything he's saying from that podium comes from Tanakh. What we have to now start hearing is our own leaders talking like that. I mean, Danny Danon uh, yeah. has uh, has been known to bring out the Tanakh and the Nach and there stories and quite, there are some. We have to hear it more often because yeah. when we say the Emet ourselves, that radiates to the whole world. When we show uncertainty, if we don't have that sense of conviction, understand the real reasons why we're here, it makes the job a lot harder. And it's nice to hear every so often someone like him to say what he had to say. We'll say the same things. We'll keep on doing what we have to do. And uh, however obvious it is, it's always nice to hear. Well, one of the great, uh, one of the great Zionists in the world visited Israel last <laughs> indeed, week. Indeed. And how ironic that he happens not to be Jewish. But boy, does he appreciate Jerusalem and the Jewish people. Uh, well, we always talk about Atarat Khanim. We talk about the incredible uh, growth that you've had. Over the last, uh, I could say, 50 years at this point, because it all really did begin, this new cycle, during, right after the Six-Day War, right? Very close, yes. Some things happened then. Formally, the organization started actually we're coming to the 40th year anniversary. Right. Uh, the first family or yeshiva students moved into the very first building called Bet Ha-Maravim, yep. a Moroccan-owned building, Moroccan-Jewish-owned building uh, from the 1800s. And it was on the sixth night of Hanukkah, in 1978-79. So we're getting close to the 40-year anniversary. Since then, the facts on the ground, the revival of Jewish life, the uh, the reclamation of Yerushalayim has happened in force. Initially just in the old city, as we know. There's now over a 1,000 Jewish residents right. in the old Jewish quarter. A lot of people don't even realize it's the old Jewish quarter, and I, and I have to reiterate that every time I speak, that the Muslim quarter of today was the main Jewish area. 21 synagogues and six centers of Jewish learning, yeshivot, in what is today called the Muslim Quarter that was decimated. And that's why I want to make sure that people understand when you say Jewish Quarter or old Jewish Quarters, you just said, you're right. not referring to what the one we refer to as no, the Jewish no, Quarter. No, 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 You're no. referring to the, what others refer to as the Muslim Quarter. 100%. 100%. That area, the British are the ones who divided up. If right. you and I were giving a radio interview in Turkish 130-odd years ago, 
I'd be welcoming you to Jerusalem, which was just the old city in those years. Right. There was a Jewish majority. And the Muslim quarter of today was the main hub of Jewish activity. It was, I think, the students the Vilna go, and there were 40 courtyards in the area between what is today called the Lion's Gate and the Flower's Gate. So there were 19,000 Jews out of 28,500 residents of the old city. I mean, that's, that's phenomenal. And the fact that that went down to zero is a tragedy. And slowly but surely, we're righting a wrong, uh, call it historical justice, call it uh, moral justice, whatever you want to call it. But we are back home. Zionist dream unfolding and over a thousand Jews there and in many other important places in what we call the Holy Basin, which is the old city and the area just around the old city, Uh, whether it be the Yemenite village. The city of David in itself is a separate entity today, no longer Mm -hmm. part of Atarat Kornim. Uh, the and they've made nice progress as well. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. I mean, uh, major consensus, huge tourism, archaeology, education. There's over 80 families living there also. It's over half, uh, or close to half uh, Jewish uh, in the original city of David. 420,000 people visited there last year. We've also got a neighborhood on the Mount of Olives. You don't have to get to the Mount of Olives just to be buried. Thank God there are Jews living on Harazitim today. And, of course, in Kidmatsion, which we call the last frontier, if I call Malea Zitim the jewel in the crown of our work, I think that the uh, Kidmatsion project, where there's eight families, where there's going to be close to 300 residential units, that is the, uh, the ultimate frontier. It's uh, right opposite Abu Dis, uh, the edge of Jerusalem, uh, three, four minutes uh, drive from the old city, but the most strategic, symbolic and important neighborhood that's going to be built probably since 1967. And if one would look at a map, they would see that the areas you're describing strategically and politically, maybe that's the wrong word, are extremely important. I mean, we're talking about a Jewish presence in an area that, number one, has not had in a long time. And number two, if there's going to be a, a great, even further expansion of Jewish life in Jerusalem, those areas are very important. Correct. I mean, this area that we're mentioning is what's called, I said, the Holy Basin, but it's also the corridor. Now, of course, we don't do things in order to stop God forbid the peace process. We want peace probably more than anyone else in the world. In fact, if the other side, quote-unquote, offered peace today at a moment's notice, you'd say, of course. A hundred percent. We want it right now. But peace doesn't have to be uh, achieved at a price of handing away your homeland, your family, your heritage, your history, especially to a, a nation that has never really existed. So this corridor is really vital uh, to the whole story. Right. I mean, the Arabs realize today, uh, and in every offer that was made by um, slightly um, misguided left-wing leaders here... Um, they <laughs> Some ha- didn't even describe themselves as left-wing leaders at so the time, but okay. That's also true. All right. <laughs> <laughs> they, um, they were only talking about one small part of East Jerusalem. I mean, most of East Jerusalem is finished. Right. It's already in Jewish hands. It can't be divided. No one's even talking in terms of getting the Jews out of Ramat Eshkol and French Hill and Ramot. That's not happening. The only part that the Arabs really want, which happens to be the most important area for Am Yisrael, is the Holy Basin. That's right. the old city, the area around, the Harazetim, um, going all the way out to close to Abu Dis. That little corridor is what it's all about. But that happens to be, for us, there is nothing more important for Am Yisrael than that area. Kings, prophets, our history, our heritage, Dabin our Amor. roots is there. Dabin, it all started there. Yeah. Uh, you know, we speak about uh, Penson uh, <laughs> recently, his about his announcements and announcements from Trump. I'd like actually to go back, if I have a, a half a second, sure. to a more famous resolution. Uh, I call that the Resolution 2560. UNESCO doesn't understand it, neither does the United Nations, but when King Cyrus and Darius made the declaration that the Jews can go back and build its 
homeland and rebuild Jerusalem, the temple. Now, that's a resolution that's worthwhile. That fact, did predate Panther. Unbelievable. <laughs> uh, in fact, last night, I was taken again to the Pasuk in the book of Ezra. I'm to, I have to tell your listeners, this is not the call of Ateret Konim, although it happens to be a nice call. The call but, of the Deviyad. <laughs> but this, what King Darius says, he says as follows, I more or less remember off by heart, sure. I hereby declare, and he's talking to the Jews of Persia, who did not go back to rebuild uh, Jerusalem. And the temple, he says, I hereby declare that all you people must help the diligent builders of Jerusalem with wheat and cotton and gold and and marble and uh, silver and all the king's good. And whoever does not listen to this decree, may the beams from his house fall, may he be fastened to a beam in the house, and may his house become refuse. That's the king of Persia calling for the Jews of the world at a time to help the diligent builders of Jerusalem for the sake of Yerushalayim and even woe behind if someone doesn't. Something phenomenal. Amazing decrees from that time. But uh, we're coming up to Purim, so I always like remembering uh, that period in time where uh, the non-Jewish world recognized, right. totally recognized, our bond and our connection to Jerusalem. Right. And it seems we have a taste of it these days, a little bit of a taste. A little bit. A little Daniel bit. Luria is here, Executive Director and Spokesperson for the Farrakhan. And you'll recall back in 2014, uh, we took a little tour of the Yemenite village. It was, oh, it, was a, beautiful. it was quite an experience, to say the least. We met families that you would call heroic, that we certainly would refer to as heroic. You've met many heroic families in your work. Um, it, it, I, I mentioned at the beginning of this conversation uh, uh, here at this show that there always seems to be something new. You guys are never resting on your laurels. You are always building and expanding. What are some of the things that are being completed now in the Yemenite village and why are they so important? Well, first of all, I, I have to reiterate what you said. These people living there, like I'm no hero. I'm, I'm just basically a small cog in a wheel of a very important organization. But the true heroes, the pioneers, the people at the forefront are the families and children who are literally living in some of these areas. Now, most of the areas, it's fine, and we take tours to all these areas, but there's one or two areas and some buildings in, for example, the Yemenite village that are under attack basically on a daily basis. Now, those people, their mysterious nefesh, their conviction, their strength, the, the reason they understand why they're there, for those people they take another level altogether what is the pioneering spirit. Yep. Uh, and for them, you know, I think the world, we talk about that means that when a person is walking the path, walking a park with his friends, with his kids in the middle of New York, I'm also walking with him. But also means that when our families are being attacked, then so too is that Jew in New York and New Jersey. That it's like he himself is being attacked. That's how he has to feel it. That's the concept of Yeah, we talk about the collective Jewish pain that's felt when that happens. And, and, that, right? and that has to be. I mean, right. uh, unfortunately, since uh, the declaration of Trump, uh, some of our homes and families have been the easiest targets for the uh, some Arabs, not all, to vent their anger. And there's no shortage of incitement and hatred and violence. And just in the last three weeks, for example, 34 actual recorded attacks on one particular building. On one building, Bet or Vajah, 34 times. It's Molotov cocktails, a concrete box, a stone attack. Thank God no one was injured. There was a certain amount of property damage. But the the beautiful part about it is that not one family even thinks of moving. Right. Not one kid starts <laughs> to cry. Gives them more strength. No, no. It's, it's, they realize one thing. You throw a stone, 
we'll collect those stones and build another house. Right. You try to drive us out, we will add. In fact, since 2014, we walked around. At that time, we had nine families. In the last year and a half, we've gone from nine to 22 families in the Yemenite village, and the whole of the original Yemenite Beacon Esset <laughs> is back in Jewish hands. I remember seeing it at that point. No, you, you saw the, at that point, you saw one third. Disarray, it was one, right? one little section of it. Since then, the they had like opened up a room, I remember. Okay, no, right. so since then, two thirds of the whole synagogue is now back in Jewish hands. Unbelievable. And 70 children counted among all those families. We at least. We don't count. Right, but you know, I'm trying to give a perspective well, here. We don't count. Uh, we say v'chein yirbu, whether they be Yemenite or not Yemenite. In fact, if not mistaken, the last child born was number 69, to be honest. <laughs> there it you was go. a Brit Milai, it was Yemenite. Uh, the Tanami family just had their fifth child. All five have been born in Kfar Temanim, the original Yemenite village. He lives in a lone building, the very first building acquired because of some uh, very special Canadians uh, who helped uh, buy the first building to bring Jewish life back there, and they've been living there now for 14 years. All right, let's do two things, uh, because we have an opportunity to speak further this week, which we're again looking forward to, as you can imagine. Daniel Luria is with us, Executive Director and Spokesperson for our Tarot Kornim Number 1, and this is one of the things we saw years ago. Uh, the children, uh, and one can surmise from the way you described it, are in a pretty cooped-up situation. The children are not exactly you know, running out to go to school and then ro- roaming the streets themselves. In order to get anywhere, they are packed into security vans, and right. and you know, and, and the and military, the, the IDF is taking care of them, or the police are taking care of them. Um, so one of the most important things was to find and to, and to continue to build places for the children to play and to roam, uh, to that end, what has happened in Right, well, village. both inside the old city and around in the places like the Yemenite village and the Mount of Olives and Kidmatzion, uh, Teret Kunim takes on the building of rooftop playgrounds. We call some of them country clubs, right. uh, but a playground on the rooftop. Uh, we have play centers, we have nurseries, and uh, I, I can't hold anything back. I mean, Nahum, I'm, I'm here for a number of reasons. I love you, I love speaking, <laughs> but I want your listeners to be involved. It's right. not enough just to sing the Shana Habab Yerushalayim. I need people that will help me build those playgrounds on the rooftops. Just you'll like you'll even kids. escort them to dedicate the playgrounds. I playground. will, 100%. Whatever plaque you want, it that. can be there. But uh, <laughs> more important is for our kids to have somewhere to go, have somewhere to play. Unfortunately, our playgrounds have to have uh, special pergolas uh, protecting them because of right. stones that come over the top, treats it also that they can't be burnt. Uh, they can't be cooped up in their apartments and their compounds, and then we have, therefore, play centers. Every day, different age groups, they, they come in. We've even got uh, a, a project. This is one of the sadder projects, but um, some of our kids have been, have been traumatized in the years gone by, not many, and they've not been able to be in the regular schooling system. Wow. And unfortunately, they fall a little bit between the, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the couches and the, uh, the pillows. Mm-hmm. And basically, we have to give them a different uh, misger, a different framework in order for them to keep them off the streets. And uh, it's a whole different ballgame. So there's no shortage of things to be done for children, but it takes uh, people from around the world to step up to the plate. And I hope people will. Um, I mean, they could do it through the web. They could do it uh, by contacting you. They could do it by contacting us, frankly, um, as we continue to uh, highlight the amazing work of Atarit Kornim. And finally, for this segment... Um, the playgrounds and so in other areas need security cameras obviously they need to be monitored they need to with 35 incidents in three weeks or whatever the number was exactly that you mentioned 
I mean, we're talking about a very precarious situation for these families. So that's another way that people around the world can get involved. Definitely. I mean, not all of it is on our our shoulders. Uh, Some of it the government does look after. uh, But because the police have asked us in the last few months to actually add security cameras to our own rooftops, they were connected to their system. Um, There is a lot that we have to do even in that field. Security booths, security cameras, uh, special windows, special pergolas over playgrounds. There's no shortage of security needs uh, in addition to the uh, children's projects that, that, that we have, obviously the renovation projects and the whole different ball game that obviously doesn't right. even go through the American office. Uh, but for those who want to be involved in any type of acquisitions and investments, which is a whole different ball game, that's directly only with the office in, uh, in Israel. That's uh, directly with me at dljerusalem at uh, gmail.com. Um, but, uh, DL Jerusalem at gmail.com. Pretty simple. Daniel Luria, DL Jerusalem. If you don't know how to spell Jerusalem, then you're in trouble. <laughs> at gmail.com. And Daniel will be more than happy to speak to you about, the, about what goes on in order for people here in Israel to legally acquire uh, properties. Those who are outside of Israel who want to help in that effort, who want to finance efforts like that, be in touch with Daniel directly. And we continue to... In, to um, I recommend to people to do just that. All right, that's it for this segment. We'll speak more this week, and I thank you very, very much. One of the uh, great people we get to visit with when we're in Jerusalem is Daniel Luria, Executive Director and Spokesperson for Ateret Koanim, and this is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NachumSiegel.com, on the NachumSiegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app.